0: For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 as we move towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount and begin to or begin to wrap this kind of series up that we've been in. Well, friends, we live in uncertain times, don't we? Uh, Any of you feel like life is more uncertain right now than it's been any period in your life? Um, Maybe not personally, individually, that it's as deep, but corporately as a group of people, I feel like things are more unstable right now, or at least they feel that way um, to me. And yet I wanna tell you today why it is we don't need to panic. Because when when I look at the world, I see a whole lot of people and a whole lot of anxiety I see a whole lot of panic going on. I see a whole lot of worry. I see a lot of anger lashing out, blaming everyone for all the stuff that's going on and the fact that it's unraveling. Uh, There's a reality for us that when we, uh, as people of the book, people of the Bible, we look at it and there's a whole lot of people in our world that are calling that which the Bible calls evil good. And they're celebrating that which the Bible would tell us to avoid and to watch out for. And in many ways, we've exchanged the wisdom of God for lies about the nature of life, uh, the nature of justice, the nature of marriage, the nature of of what flourishing and thriving in our world looks like. And in all of those ways, uh, it can create anxiety and stress and tension for us, can't it? And so we see people bickering and fighting and arguing. And yet, when I look at the scriptures, I see Christ walking with great faith in his heavenly father, through the midst of the turmoil that he faced in his day. And his world was in many ways not any more certain than ours was. It was a mess then, and it's a mess now. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, that life is a journey, a journey full of perplexities, problems, and uncertainties. Can I get an amen? What really matters in life is not so much the various things that come to meet us and with which we have to deal, as much as our readiness to meet them. See, I love the perspective that he brings to that. It says, you know, life is not so much about us fearing all the stuff that's coming at us as it is us getting ourselves ready to deal with whatever comes our way. And that per- perspective shift, I think, really changes things if we, if we embrace it. So let me ask you this question. Are you ready to face whatever it is that comes your way? Are you ready to face whatever uncertainty, whatever problem, whatever perplexing issue uh, that arises on the uh, on the horizon of our lives, are you ready for it? I think today we're going to see really where it is that we can turn. And we're going to look at a great text in Matthew 7 that gives us great encouragement for what we can do in in uncertain times to really get ourselves ready to meet the challenges ahead. But here's the thing I want to I want you to hear as we start. God's people always shine brightly. In dark times because they look like their Heavenly Father there ought to be a family resemblance that flows through us into the world so that we shine brightly in the darkest days and so even in times of darkness the church is it's a church oftentimes the church's finest hour and we get to show off tremendously so let's look and see where we can find some encouragement from Jesus words today in Matthew chapter 7 So, Matthew 7 we're gonna start in verse 7 and just read down through verse 11 ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks to the one who knocks it will be opened. For which of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? These are the words of Christ and instructing us and telling us about the hope, where, where it is we should turn for hope. And he gives us that simple command, ask, seek, knock. And uh, words that we've probably heard before, words that we, uh, words that we, we probably could quote. Uh, it's an image that, has uh, been repeated an awful lot. Well, let me ask you this. As we step back and think about what Jesus is doing in the whole Sermon on the Mount, going, you know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, why do you think Jesus stops here as he gets towards the end and gives us this kind of super encouraging word? Well, uh, one thing is, I, th- I think it's probably, if you think about all the things Jesus said at this point, it can be pretty overwhelming, can't it? I mean, if you think about all the things Jesus said about do not judge those around you. Do not, uh, do not seek vengeance to those who have harmed you. Love your enemies. Um, I, I tell you, it's not just adultery, it's a problem. It's the lust that's in your heart. If you even look at someone, you're in trouble. Uh, it's not just murder that's a problem. If you hate someone, if you're angry with them, it, it's, it does something bad in your heart. And so don't even be angry. Uh, Any of you start to get overwhelmed when you think, let's see, I can't ever lust, I can't ever get angry, I can't ever seek vengeance when someone's done me wrong, I can't ever judge another person, I I have to live in perfect uh, harmony without any kind of hypocrisy in terms of my religious life and everything that I do there, and you start to think about all the things Jesus talked about, it can get pretty overwhelming, can't it? Now all of a sudden, he stops and goes, stop, ask, seek, knock. You have a father in heaven who will give good gifts to his children. I think there's a reason why you do uh, that. Uh, I was reading Augustine this week and what he wrote about this. One of the things I love about getting preached on the Sermon on the Mount is... for 2000 years, everyone's preached on the Sermon on the Mount. It's probably been preached on more than anything else in the history of the church. And so, uh, you know, 1600 years ago, Augustine's preaching sermons on this and I can pull them up and read his sermons in North Africa and what he was saying to his people. And one of the things he said was, he says the verses right before this talk about uh, not giving your holy things to dogs and not casting pearls before swine. He says, probably most people looked around and went, Dude, I don't even have any pearls. Like, I don't have any holy things. What is it you want me to do? I better ask God for some help here because I don't know what to do. Um, and there's a lot of wisdom in that, isn't there? That we, we see ourselves as inadequate. We know that we don't measure up. We know we can't do everything that Jesus called us to do. And so he stops and he says, come out, you can ask because you have a father in heaven who cares for you, who will help you. And he wants to meet your needs. And so in the midst of these high demands upon his disciples, the sermon gives us this encouraging section that sort of balances it all out with grace. It says, God will give you grace to help you do the things that he's called you to do. And he, he, he tries to offer some encouragement. So let's look at verses seven and eight where he says, ask, seek, and knock. And when he talks about these things, why should you ask, he says? That's pretty obvious. Those who ask get what they want, right? Those who ask get what they, they receive, what it is they ask for. That seems like a pretty good reason to do that. But it's easy for us to take that as an assumption, but don't run past the assurance that Jesus gives here. You notice all three, three commands he gives all come with a promise. So there's three commands, there's three promises. Ask, you'll receive. Seek, and you'll find what you want. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. You'll be welcomed in. That's encouraging words, right? No matter matter who you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you ask, you get it. If you seek, you'll find it. If you knock, it's open for you. It means God's there and what you need is available. What he's really saying is God doesn't screen his calls. Any of you want to admit you screen your calls? Yeah, how many of you you would would raise your hand right now and go, yeah, I'm that person? Because I'll confess to you, when the phone rings, my first thought is, I bet I don't know him. And then I go, maybe they won't even leave a message. And, and typically I try not to even look because I just think, well, what if, what if it's, a, well, I, don't, I don't wanna know. And so I, I, I don't wanna answer the phone. I almost never answer the phone because I'd rather just let it go to voicemail and see if I really need to do something about it, right? Because I, I don't want it to impinge upon my freedom and what I have. And what he's saying is God's not like that. God doesn't have a doorbell that has a video on it. And when it rings, he sits back in the room and pulls his phone up and goes, Yeah, I'm not getting up for that. And leave you standing outside still ringing the doorbell, right? I mean, because some of us act that way. But what he's saying is God's not like that. That if you ask, you receive. If you seek, you find. If you knock, the door's open. God is much kinder oftentimes than we are. And that's the way this is supposed to make you feel. That we have 24-7, 365 access to a Father in heaven who cares for our needs and he's available, and he's ready, and he's willing, and he's not begrudging when you come to him, but he opens the door ready to receive you. Is that good news? Is that good news when you're, when you're stressed? Is that good news when you don't know how to solve the problem in front of you? Is that good news when you're not sure how to make a decision and what to do with the future? Is that good news when it seems like the whole world's uncertain and unraveling? It is. It is. And so we need to link, we need to, we need to trust it. Uh, and Really, it's important to know this is not like a, just a psychological booster shot to get you through the hard day. This isn't like a, like a little happy hour binge to make you feel a little better to get through the day. This is actually a reorienting of your entire life around the goodness of a heavenly father who cares for you. It's something much bigger than that. So let's, uh, let's look at these three actions. I think they build upon one another. Ask, to ask is to express your need. To ask for something, you have to have mental recognition of it, don't you? There has to be some kind of a mental, or in your mind, you have to have an understanding of what it is that you need, and then that has to be expressed in some way. And so this really is focusing on you understanding something in your mind, so you ask for it. And there's an implicit assumption in that, uh, which is this, that you only ask for things that you know you need, right? Things you don't already possess. I mean, if, if you had a $5 bill in your wallet and you needed $5, you don't go, hey, could I have $5? You just pull the five out and use it. You, if you already possess it, you don't need to ask for it. So when we ask, there's an understanding here that says, man, I mentally comprehend the reality that I, within my own self, do not possess everything I need. And so I'm, I'm recognizing that mentally and I'm asking for, for some help here. And this is kind of the foundational idea that, that if we were sufficient, we wouldn't need to ask, but we're not, but he is, and so we can always turn to him and ask, so we ask. So that's mental, where we, we're kind of where we come from. But then it goes a step further and builds on that, and he talks about seeking. When he said um, seeking, or, or actually, let me before I get there, let me, I want to read a quote from Martin Luther on, on asking and why, why this is so helpful, uh, because I think sometimes we, it's easy for us to run past this. And I love what it was he said on this. He said, God knows that we are timid and shy, that we feel unworthy and unfit to present our needs to God. We think that God is so great and we are so tiny that we, that we do not dare to pray. That's why Christ wants to lure us away from such timidity to remove our doubts and have us go ahead confidently and boldly. Is that not helpful? Do you ever feel like your needs can't be that important that God would actually care about them? Like, I look on the grand scheme of the world and I think, man, there's, you know, when you, when you look at wars and famines and you look at the things that are going on, man, God's got so much to do. Surely, surely he doesn't need to hear about my petty little stuff. But don't you love that Jesus in this sermon comes to it and he says, no, you ask. You'll always receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you if you knock, he'll answer. He's luring us, he says, uh, Luther says, luring us out of our timidity so that we boldly just come to him and ask and state it is what we need that's good um seek to seek has to do with the will meaning you want something it speaks to our motivation you only seek something that you desire you if you if you want something badly enough you'll actually get up off the sofa you'll actually push push the off button on the remote and you'll go get the thing that you want right I mean, like on a Saturday when you've been there and you've stayed all day and you actually get hungry and you have that deal like, how hungry am I? See, sometimes our desires are so weak that we don't, we don't get up and go do those things. But what he's talking about here is that, there's, that you go seek something because you've got a desire for it. And so it's speaking to your will. I'm motivated to go pursue and find something that I can count on. Uh, think about it this way. Uh, being on a trip, any of you have little kids that play little league basketball, soccer, baseball, something like that. And sometimes you go on these, these trips and it's always frantic. I mean, you're always trying to make sure you got the right jerseys, you're doing all the stuff. Then you get in there and then you gotta check out in the morning and you know it's gonna be sweaty by the time you finish the day and you've gotta do the thing. And imagine the scenario where, and I've actually seen this one play out, uh, but where mama loses her wedding ring as everyone and realizes it just before they're heading out to the game. Now let me ask you this, that puts you in a, in a place where you have to make a choice, right? Are you going to seek the wedding ring or are you gonna go see the game? I can, I can tell you in about 10 times out of 10, mom is gonna stay and find the wedding ring and dad or someone else may take the kid off to the game because that wedding ring is that important, right? And so whenever you're forced to make a choice, then you go, well, I'm gonna seek the wedding ring. I'm gonna look, I'm gonna devour this, apart, this this hotel room until I find the ring the thing that I'm seeking and, and everything else has to be put off until I get to that point, right? Now, that's true, unless, unless maybe, ladies, you wanted, to, you wanted a better ring. Like, unless you know that when he asked you, he was dirt poor and couldn't afford anything, and now you're like, hey, I could trade up on this deal if I play these cards right, right? That, that, just kidding. You, no one would ever do that, though, because it's something of great value to you. You pursue the things, and you seek the things that are, that are value, and you prioritize them. So we seek those things out. Um, true story, I, I rode cycling team in in college and had a, had a really nice road bike. I had to sell my road bike to buy my wedding ring because I couldn't afford it. And so there's things that, that have great meaning that go into those things that make you prioritize them, right? What Jesus is saying is we seek the things that we're motivated for. And so we ask for help and we seek it out. Then we get to knock. Knocking speaks to action. You have to physically go knock on a door, right? Like you can't just sit there and ask and hope and knock on the door at the same time, you have to get up and go do something. And so there's a, there's a commitment, there's a movement, there's a, an action that takes place there. And really, uh, this is one that comes with a little bit of risk because when you knock on a door, you're, you're, you're taking a chance that maybe that door won't open or maybe the, the person that opens it won't be friendly or maybe they don't have the needs or, or the means to provide for the thing that you need. And so this one actually takes some action that involves some risk and some commitment in here. So when you think about these three verbs, um, ask, seek, and knock let me ask you this question. Why does Jesus tell us we have to do this? Now, if you look just a little bit, if you go back and look a little earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things Jesus encouraged us with earlier is that that we should be able to pray because um, the Lord already knows what we need, right? So question, if the Lord already knows what we need, why does he make us ask? Like, is that a power play? Like, is God up there going like, hey, come back. Come, come here. Come tell me what you need. Is is it a power play? Because the scriptures say he already knows what we need. Why is it that we're called to ask, to seek, and to knock? In fact, not just that. In this sermon where Jesus has kind of given his philosophy of life about how human beings can thrive in the world, he gives us those three verbs. And, And all three of these verbs, ask, seek, and knock, are present and they're imperative, they're commands, but they're also things that are uh, that that are ongoing they're persistent they're things that we have to continue to do it says ask and keep asking seek and always keep seeking knock and keep knocking until the door is answered and so there's this kind of drivenness to the things that he's called us to do which i think is really fascinating when you think about the fact that god knows what we need but he says come and ask why is it he does that See, I think there's a reality for you and for me that if we think we have it mostly together and maybe we just need a little bit of help, we're not really going to go ask for help. We're just going to try to do it on our own. We're not going to mentally acknowledge that I don't, I'm not sufficient on my own. We're not going to become desperate in terms of our, our faith and, and seek him out. And we're not going to be willing to go knock and entrust everything to the one that would, answer the, that would open the door to us. And so Jesus is calling us to be bold because his promises are attached to our action. He says, if you come in this way, then you'll find your fulfillment. And I think what he really is saying is that if we don't ask, we won't perceive that he's the one that gave us the good stuff. We'll think that we did it for ourselves. We'll think that we're capable of doing that. And so he calls us to come do that. And really, you see this kind of thing throughout, throughout the whole Bible. When God called Abraham, he pulled Abraham out of Abraham had a family system. He had a, a deep family root and all these kind of connections that he had. And he called him to leave home and to go away somewhere else. And he says, I promise you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you descendants and I'm gonna give you blessing and you're gonna be a blessing to all the nations, but I need you to leave home. And Abraham said, well, where am I going? He said, you'll go where I tell you to go. Look what it says in in, in Hebrews 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place where he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Isn't that fascinating? God said, I'm gonna promise you, if you follow me, if you go where I tell you to go, you're gonna find this great inheritance and blessing and, and you'll be a blessing to the nation. You'll have all these descendants. So come and follow me but he didn't tell him where he was going. He made him trust him. Do you ever feel like that in your own life? You're like, God, I'm I'm trusting you. I'm counting on your promises. What is it you want me to do? And he says, just trust me and follow me and walk with me. You go, well, where exactly are we gonna go? Can you show me the whole path? Any of you kind of micromanager in terms of your, your details? Any of you like your maps? Like in the old school, you used to take out the map and you'd waste a whole one by highlighting the thing. Uh, You had these different ways of doing it. You know, you get up the night before now and you pull up on your phone and you get your Waze app or whatever app it is that you use and you type in the destination and you make sure you know which one you've got. You got it all figured out. And what God says is, I just want you to trust me. And I'm going to give you a promise of where it's going to lead, but I'm not going to give you all of the map. That's faith, isn't it? Dallas Willard says this, life in the kingdom is not something we do like investing in the stock market or learning Spanish that allows us to reserve dominion over our own life and use the kingdom for our purposes. We have to surrender the inmost reality of the self to God expressed in Jesus and in his kingdom. We cannot use it which, uh, use it, which withholding our inmost self back from it. And it's about trust that ultimately we can't use the way of the kingdom for our own good. It, the, the kingdom of God is never a side hustle. It's something that we have to go all in on. Like we take all the chips and we put them in the middle and go, I'm trusting everything. I'm giving you everything. I'm gonna, I'm gonna rely on you no matter what. And it's not some temporary high. It's a reorientation of the whole life. It's why Jesus said uh, elsewhere, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back if he is fit for the kingdom of God meaning you can't start the thing and stop. You've got to go all in. And so you're trusting this with your whole life. Uh, it's why um, it's talking, speaking really to our persistence, our perseverance, our resilience. It's why Paul said, we're leaving the things that are behind and we press on to the mark of a higher call. And there's a decision where you say, I'm going all in on this and I'm going to trust it. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen you will seek me and find me, God says, when you seek me with all your heart. And here's, I think, what's important for us to understand. The point here is not that God's leveraging us to squeeze as much out of us as he possibly can get. The point, I think, of what Jesus is saying is, you and I aren't gonna experience true freedom if we haven't really trusted everything to him. See, if, if we trust him a little bit, but I'm still holding back some for myself, and I say, okay, I'm gonna try to manage all this myself, and I'm gonna trust God with just a little bit, how much freedom am I really gonna experience in that? No, most of the weight of it's still on me. And what Jesus knows is unless I step completely over the, over the ledge, unless I say I'm gonna just entrust my whole life to him, that I'm not gonna experience the freedom. I'm not gonna experience release from the things that hold me back. I'm not gonna experience joy that he wants me to experience. I'm gonna still hold on to my worry. As long as I'm living in two worlds and I'm trying to go back and forth, the, the worry and the stress and the anxiety is still gonna stay with me because it's still based upon me. And so I think that's why it's important for us to ask and why Jesus says, no, I want you to come and ask, to seek, to knock. Because in that, there's a transfer. So anytime we ask a question of someone, there's a connection between us, right? Like if I ask you for help, I'm, I'm trusting you and there's a little bit of a, a connection that takes place. That's why most of us would rather wa- wander around uh, in the city rather than stop and ask for directions. They're like, well, that, admits, that would admit that I don't know where I'm going and it would admit that I'm dependent on one. this person says. I think I can just figure it out. And so we try to find our own way. The, the, the power of asking a question sometimes makes us uncomfortable. And we don't ask God because we think he can't be bothered with our petty little problems. And yet Jesus says, come and ask. And the reason we need to ask is not because he doesn't know. And it's not because he needs to be pestered into, into doing what we need. We, the reason we need to ask is for us. So we're ready to receive the direction that he gives. That there's something in our going to him and asking for help and us going and seeking him and us going and knocking, saying, look, I'm committing, I'm putting all my my trust in in what you're gonna be able to provide for me. There's something that shapes who we are as human beings and shapes our souls through the process of asking and seeking and knocking. So let's go, uh, really the way we need to think about it is that we get to, uh, we, we get to ask, we get to, um, seek. We get to knock because he's going to answer for us. And so that leads us really to the next couple of verses. So if you look at verses nine through 11, we're going to talk about family. And really what you see here is that um, we're, we're going to see that that there's a good father who gives us good things. And so Jesus gives us this example and it's a, it's a, it's kind of a more than so, uh, or, or a greater than example. And so he's going to say, like, even as, as good a parent as you are, how much more is God, is God a better parent than that? And so the, how, much, how much of a greater parent can God be? Now, I love uh, the, the fact that Jesus is pretty honest here. Like, most of us are pretty dysfunctional parents, right? He says, if you, being evil, know how to get good gifts. Um, so... If you have issues of total depravity, you got issue with Jesus, just saying. Like Jesus just goes, hey, if you guys, all being evil, can still try to be good parents, then how much more can God, being holy and good, be a better parent to us? And so um, he doesn't, as he's thinking about kind of what, what it is that we're called to do and what it is that we're able to do, um, he's inviting us to come in to, to seek our Father and to ask for something good. And so he gives us this example of, um, surely a, if a kid comes and asks for something good like bread, you're not going to give him a stone to eat, right? And surely if a kid comes and asks for something healthy like fish, of all things, like he's not asking for queso, he's asking for fish. He asks to ask for fish, you're not going to give him a poisonous serpent and allow him to be stung and, and harmed. And so God's not going to give you something that's useless and God's not going to give you something that's harmful. God's going to always give you good stuff when you come. And so when you think about this, he doesn't mean uh, that we can come and just ask for whatever it is we want. Right, because I think that's the question. We go, uh, you know, we, we would like to take that one verse and, and just say, he who asks receives and go, sweet sauce, I can ask for whatever I want and I get it all, right? I mean, that's kind of how we would like to go and that's kind of the immature way of thinking about it and the way you would want to do it, but it's not like childlike demands for cookies and throwing a temper tantrum if we don't get away and go, God's never answering my prayers. You know, I don't get everything I want and you kind of get all of this sad mopey thing. That's, that's not what he's talking about. But he's saying that a good father is gonna give good things, the things that you need. Um, But he's not gonna give you things that you don't need. Um, How many of you like to give stuff to your kids though when they were little that were just a little bit mean? Like any of you love to give your little babies lemons? Like that was always one we did. They're like, you know, they they think they want something, You give a couple good things and you sneak a lemon in and they're like, do this and they make that sour face. And you gotta love that. I remember having some bets with my kids What they eat hot sauce and do other stuff. And see, if we being evil still give good gifts to our children, because most of the time we did give them good stuff too, Uh, but you have to have a little bit of fun with them uh, occasionally. Uh, Every now and then you gotta go to Pops and get really nasty flavors and give them ranch dressing soda pop and see if they like that. Like you need to do some of these with your kids just to keep them on edge. Uh, That's important to do. Uh, to remind him who's boss. Um, but whenever you look at what the Lord did, the Lord didn't operate that way, right? He always gave you what you actually needed. And so he wasn't holding out on you, he wasn't withdrawing. He, he was, he was a, good, a, a good father to us. I, I love the way he says it in Isaiah 49. He says, can a woman forget a nursing child that she, uh, that she should have no compassion on the son of her own womb? And then he goes, even these may forget, but I won't forget you. Um, I love how realistic the Bible is. <laughs> He's like, even, even that mommy who loves her child more than anything on earth still sometimes just forgets her responsibilities and doesn't do everything right. But I won't do that, God says. I'll always take care of you. I'll never forget you. This is the central principle of everything Jesus has been saying in the king, uh, about the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you see that? This is the thing that you've got to wrap your heart around. You have a good father in heaven who can meet all of your needs. Do you believe that to be true? If that's true, does that not bring ultimate freedom from all these other pursuits? Does that not bring ultimate freedom from worry? Does that not enable us to move with boldness in our service and our mission, to shine brightly with good works in the world, not holding anything back, but giving everything in our lives over to him, to his kingdom, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? If we have a heavenly father who will meet all of our needs and promises never to shut the door on us, that ought to bring freedom. It ought to bring joy. It ought to bring release from all those things. And the fact is the greatest limiting factor in our Christian lives is our failure to know God as our father and to trust him completely. That's the thing that holds us back spiritually more than anything else and the thing that we need to understand. Now, the the emphasis in this passage, as much as it talks about that we need to persistently ask and seek and knock, the emphasis on this is that you have a Father in heaven who has everything and will never close the door to you and so you can trust him completely. That's the the main drive of all this. So let me ask you this, because some of you may not believe that God's your Father. How does God become your Father and my Father? John 1 says, Christ came to his own, his own did not receive him, But as many as received him, he gave the right to be called sons of God. It's as simple as that. That ultimately the path that we become children of God is through Jesus. As we trust what Jesus said about the kingdom, as we trust Jesus when we receive the message that he gave, then we're able to become sons of God. And the scriptures sometimes refer to that. Jesus, a little bit later in John, talks about being born again. Uh, that somehow there's a new life. It says that we're given new life, that we're, giving a new, we're given a new nature. And so we're partakers of the divine nature, meaning you're of the same stuff as the Father. So the, the nature of the Father, we get to participate in that. We become partakers of the divine nature because we're born again to new life and we're raised to walk with Him. And so that means that um, as we think about this, family that we're brought into, Uh, You notice in John 1, it said that that he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. That means you have a chance to say no to heavenly father. That if you look at Jesus and say, no, I don't think Jesus was really the son of God. No, I don't think what Jesus said about the kingdom is true. No, I don't believe that that what he said about the father is true. You have a chance not to receive Jesus and therefore not to become a son of God. But the the other side of that was, was that to all who received him, He gave the right, the legal right to be called sons of God. Those are your adoption papers. And all you have to do is receive Christ, and you become a you become a child of God. So let me ask you today, do you know God is your Father? Have you ever made that decision that I'm gonna trust what Jesus said about the kingdom, about the world, and about the 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 future that I would have with with a with a father in eternity? And because of what Jesus did for me upon a cross, I'm gonna trust that he created access for me to be reunited with my father in heaven. That's the truth of the gospel. Here's what it means if you believe that. It means that you have a heavenly father who's interested in you. It means you have a heavenly father who cares about the details of your life. It means you have a, a heavenly father who, when he hears your voice, listens up. He goes, that's mine, that's my kid. It means you have a heavenly father who has a plan and a purpose for you. It means he's desiring to bless you and he wants to help you and give you good things. It means he wants to bestow upon you all the things that you need to walk in freedom and enjoy in his kingdom. And then he's never gonna turn his back on you. And even when you go astray, that he's gonna run after you and bring you home like a good parent does. And then he's gonna care for you and watch over you and deliver you into the place where one day you get to be with him for all time. You think about the love that you have for your kid. You ever seen your kid in pain and your first instinct is to dive into it full bore? You ever see your kid in joy and you laugh when, you, when they have that belly laugh and the first thing you do is you're like, he just makes you laugh and you, you get a smile on your face. Sometimes you just hear him in the other room talking and doing things and you go, oh, that's so good and you just start to smile because you're connected to what's happening in their lives and you care so much about them. If you think about that connection you have for your kid and multiply that by infinity, that's how much God loves you. That's how much God cares about you. And can you take hold of that right now and just grab hold of the reality that you have a father in heaven who loves you with that kind of love? He doesn't doesn't miss anything that happens in your life. He never misses a game. He never takes a day off. He's always there ready for you. And he's always ready to answer when you call. That's what it means to have a heavenly father. Now the reality is that there are some fathers on earth that are thoughtless and give the kids anything that they ask for, even stuff that hurts them. Uh, There's some fathers that are, Uh, that are careless and, or or they're withdrawn and uh, they barely ever give anything to their kid. And you just need to know God's not like that. God's always ready to hear you when you call. But I think it does beg a question. Why, why do we have to ask, seek, and knock? And why sometimes does God allow things to happen um, where it doesn't seem to make everything clean and easy, right? Because that's reality for us. I love that the scripture gives us examples of that. And I want to point out one of these in Peter. Because um, here's the thing, deep down, aren't you grateful for the assurance that God's going to give you what you need and just not, not just what you want? Aren't you grateful that God doesn't give you everything you think you need and everything you think you want? Because that would get a whole lot of us in trouble some of the time. And so God gives us, like a good father, he gives us what is helpful for us. He gives us what is beneficial but think about Peter for a minute. Remember in uh, the Gospels at the end of Jesus' life where Jesus is facing the cross and he goes, he goes to Peter and he says, Peter, who was one of his kind of inside buddies and his friends and his closest compadres, and as he goes and he talks to him, he, he says, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times. And Peter says, no way would I ever do that. And he says, yes, you will. And then Jesus says this remarkable thing uh, because to me, this, this whole scene in the way it plays out just... Uh, Kind of shocking in the, in the way it unfolds because he, he knows what Peter's going to do. And he tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And then he goes to Peter and he says, um, <clears throat> maybe even with, with sadness, but with great confidence. The father says, he says, Peter, I've prayed for you. I've requested concerning you that your faith will not die. And when you've strained up, I want you to help uphold your brothers. Isn't that a fascinating thing? Peter, you're gonna blow it. You're gonna hurt me so deeply. You're gonna cut me to my core by denying that you even have a relationship with me. And it's gonna be painful. And I'm not going to try to help you skip over that, but I'm gonna pray for you that you're not gonna lose your faith. And then when you've turned back around, that then you're gonna be strengthened and you'll be able to strengthen everyone else. Isn't that remarkable that God operates that way? Why did, why did Jesus operate that way for Peter? there was something that Peter needed to learn in the process, something through his failure and seeing that God didn't cast him out, something in seeing that he he wasn't all sufficient in his own strength, something that saw that even in the midst of his own sinfulness, that God's grace was full enough for him, that, that that would strengthen him to allow him to be even more bold on the backside. And so I think we have to just trust that our heavenly father at times when we're going through difficult times, when we're going through difficulties, when we live in uncertain times, I think we like Peter or we like Jesus have to trust that our heavenly father has a plan and this is going to somehow produce something good in us even when we don't understand the path. Do you see how often this shows up in the scriptures? Abraham, I I promise you, I'm gonna deliver you. I'm gonna do this good thing in you. Follow me. Where do I go? Just trust me. Peter, you're gonna fail. You're gonna do this thing. Peter says, no, I won't. Peter, you will, but I've prayed for you. Not that you would skip past that, that trial, but that you would not lose your faith through it, but actually be strengthened so that you have something even better to offer on the backside. God, as a heavenly father, cares for us in the ways in which we really need. And he invites us to come to him over and over. So let me ask this. How do we thrive in uncertain times? I think the, the first thing we have to do is we have to be certain that we have a father in heaven. If you're in uncertain times, you want to be certain about one thing. That's that you have a father in heaven who's good and who will care for you. And in that, um, we ask, seek, and knock in a way that demonstrates our faith in a heavenly father. So if you believe that God's, that God's good, if you believe that God's in the heavens, meaning he's sovereign over all and he can take care of us, then it, makes, it only makes logical sense that we would demonstrate that faith by asking him for help, by seeking him and seeking his good and by knocking and um, trying to receive from him those things. So as we think about what it means for us to, to find strength through confidence in God, I think that really is what Jesus is driving at in this whole passage, is that ultimately he says that um, we don't need to panic in uncertain times. Uh, we don't need to give in to anxiety. We don't, to, we don't need to punt and run away. But ultimately we need to walk ahead into the, into the things that, that, that are in front of us. And when our faith in our, fa- our, our Father Father. Uh, or when, we, when we're confident about our faith in our Father, um, here's what I think you'll, you'll experience and what I think Jesus is wanting us to experience. You'll experience freedom from worry, anxiety, and anger about the way the world's going. Um, you'll experience release from the desire for vengeance and lashing out. Um, you'll experience uh, freedom to love others who are different than we are and you'll experience strengthening for the mission of doing good doing good in our world. Verse we've come back to over and over and over in this in this series it says that we're to we're to shine brightly in the cities that we are the light of the world. We're the light of the world, friends. As as Christians, we're those that are supposed to bring light to the darkness. And in our darkest days, What we've seen throughout all of church history is that Christians shine brightest in the darkest of days. And so as we think about what this means for you and for me, it means we need to look like our father. needs in the midst of uncertain times that we need to trust him, trust him that he's he's got a plan, that he's gonna work it out. And then we need to keep going day after day. Go back and we ask for help, we seek him, we knock on the door that we might receive um, what's coming. You with me? Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we'd, we don't take lightly even what we're doing right now. Heavenly Father, would you help us to rest in that, to trust that you truly are our Father who's in heaven, who's above all, who sees all, who's not wringing your hands over the state of the world, but also is not callous to our needs. Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, might today be the day that they recognize that they, are, they themselves are not enough, that they might ask you for help, that they might seek a relationship with you by faith, that they might knock Father, as the image says, that they would knock and ask that you would open and welcome them, that you would meet their needs. And Father, we know that you will. Father, would you help them to take that step of faith with their spirit, your spirit and strengthen them to even take that step of faith right now. And Father, for those of us who have received Christ and are children of um, are your children, would you help us to rest in the reality that you are a Heavenly Father and that you care about us, that you see us, that you that you don't overlook anything in our lives, but that we can bring it all to you. Father, would you help us to, to be strengthened by that even today? Father, we pray it through Christ and by your spirit. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for this redemption sermon. For more resources and information about Redemption Church, visit redemptionokc.com and follow us on social media.